0: Alright everybody, hello and welcome back to Tell Me More Radio with Tom Shadyak. I'm your host for the night, Brooke Fernley, And I'm here tonight to talk to you about the the things that we're not saying. But I'm not here alone. I'm here with a group of people in our studio. Guys, say hello.
1: Hello. Hello. Hola.
0: So we're here today to talk about this concept called an open letter. And I started thinking about this idea when I saw it popping up online a lot on my Facebook feed. I saw a lot of people writing open letters and mostly it was kind of mass-produced articles about something that had gotten famous picked up from one person's Facebook page. But it, it got me a little bit interested in the idea of an open letter. So we'll, we'll talk about it a little in the room. Different people probably get different things out of that phrase. But what an open letter means to me Is it something that you're not saying to someone? And that can be someone that you know very well and you see every single day, but you don't have the courage to say something to them or you wouldn't want to offend them by saying it to their face. Or it could be somebody that you've just met one time or somebody that you've never met, but you've always wanted to say something to them and you haven't had the opportunity. Um, Personally, I wrote... uh, open letter to somebody who's passed away who was very important to me in my childhood and and that can be a tough one because that's a letter that they can't get sent um so some of the people in the studio have written letters tonight right guys yes, yes. okay okay and what what did you get out of this open letter assignment that i gave you art
2: uh i had to i went back to revisit some things some things have been coming up lately for me that I've wondered, what, what in the world is that coming from? And I went back and, and did some uh, retracing of my old days, and I came across something that, that, um, that kind of shocked me. And uh, because I, I had been living with it for a long time and didn't realize it at all. Um, and so when this opportunity came up, I, I've been kind of working through it for a while, just internally. And when this opportunity came up to do an open letter about it, I thought, well, what the heck? Why not? Let's get it out there.
0: So that's interesting, though. It came immediately right away. You knew who yeah. you wanted to write a letter yeah.
2: to. Uh, that doesn't mean that I couldn't sit down and write several more <laughs> open letters <laughs> uh, about uh, the past and a few things about the present. But this one just, just stood out.
0: Okay. Yeah. And uh, we were talking before Nick and I. Nick, did you have someone that popped out to you that you needed to write an open letter to?
3: No, not at all, actually.
0: Not at all. Did you did you give it some thought? Did you end up coming up with somebody?
3: I thought about several people that had I not already done something along those lines, I would have written an open letter to. But I felt like any open letter I would have written was just going to be restating things I had already said to them.
0: Okay, so you feel like you've already addressed this with some people? What do you mean by that?
3: Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I mean. Uh, the way I see an open letter is that it's a, a tool for you to sort of get it out and air the the dirty laundry, so to speak, to say <laughs> I have these thoughts and I just have been holding on to them and here they are. And I just don't do that. I don't do that. If I have these thoughts swirling around in my head, they tend to get in my way and I tend to not be able to focus on other like personal development matters until these things are dealt with. So it's very hard for me to not constantly be sort of airing that out.
0: Airing that out. Okay, so that's what you get out of an open letter. It's something that is in the past that needs to be brought up to the present and said
3: no not necessarily uh i think that's probably where it ends up for a lot of people because a lot of people oh if i had done that or if i'd done this but i think also it can be if you're having if you're clashing with somebody and you just feel like you need to say something to them but you can't say it in person articulately Mm -hmm. and you you you're afraid you'll stumble over your words or you'll say something you didn't mean to say but uh that, that The latter there is more of what I mean. Usually the way I'm addressing it sort of piecemeal is how that sort of open letter would work, the way you're just sort of uh, addressing a large topic at hand.
0: Interesting. Uh, it seems like you're thinking of it kind of if there's something that needs to be addressed. You've already addressed it, which yes. is good, but I don't feel like that was the case for me. I, I'm more on the, on the side of art. I thought of several letters that I could have written, and this one seemed to be the most pressing kind of on my heart. Um, do you write a journal, Nick? No. No? Okay. Just you, curious. you obviously
2: don't have a problem with confrontation with people because sometimes I'm, I know what you're saying is that you want to get this aired out. You want to clear yeah. the space so that you don't have uh, a sense of division between whomever it is that you're having these, Issues with, and it may be on their end. Uh, who can say? But obviously, you're uh, either courageous enough, more courageous than me, I might say, um, <laughs> to at least broach the subject right then and there and clear the air. Okay. Yeah.
3: My personal policy is the the discomfort and the tension from not confront having the confrontation is so much worse than just getting it over with and saying, look, we have to just sort this out right now, so it can be done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go
4: ahead, Casey. Well, what I'm wondering is if an open letter has to always be In a negative light like Mm -hmm. is it always clearing the air is it always Mm -hmm. confronting someone can't it be like hey you changed my life and i don't know if you know that but for the better like in a good way i don't know no because when i first think of open a letter i did first think of like oh i need to tell this person how i really feel in a negative way but then i was like i don't know who could i tell something nice to that i've never told because sometimes we're even more afraid to tell them compliments
0: yeah, it like, could also be this s- someone you've never even had the opportunity to speak with. Right. This could be a letter to a celebrity or someone that you're never going to meet, but you feel like you have a connection with because that, that happens a lot. It's happened to me. I've connected s- with certain authors or people that I, I know that I'm never going to meet in person and I probably will never have the chance to communicate with them. But there's still something there that might might need to be said um so uh, an example of a different kind of a different format of an open letter we've we've got a clip from the kid president uh who is an (laughs) online sensation i don't know if you guys have heard of him and he wrote an open letter to all mothers so not not a group of people he could address one-on-one and i just want to open up a little bit our concept of what even this letter could look like so jess if we could get clip number one please
5: this one goes out to moms. On behalf of all the kids in the world, here are two things every mom needs to know. Number one, put down your phone. <laughs> unless your kid is named Phone. Number two, don't name your kid Phone. It's just not right. That's messed up. And number three, we love you. It's just sometimes we don't know how to say it. Sometimes it just comes out screaming or crying. But the next time your kid screams, you know what they're really saying is, I love you, Mom. You're beautiful. Thank you for not naming me phone. (laughs) Four, stop cleaning. Our house isn't messy. Our house is awesome. (laughs) It's awesome because we live in it. My mom got stuff to do. Number five. Mom, upside down, is wow. Doesn't really mean anything, but I just thought it was really cool. Wow. It should be like this. Wow, 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 wow. Number six. While I have you here, I want to take a second and talk about meatloaf. Meatloaf is like a loaf of bread, but it's meat. Mom, we love you, but let's cool it on the meatloaf. <laughs> Number seven. Thank you for cleaning up all the poop. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight. Have fun for once. We love to see you have fun. Dance in the grocery store. Oh, I know, i bought all this stuff. Or sing in the middle of a driveway. Oh, it'll feel great. And then it'll scare your kids so much, they'll be quiet. <laughs> Number nine, hug more, shout less. Like, I get it, I get it. Sometimes we do something wrong. But growing up is scary. There's school, there's tests, there's telling times with clocks that have hands, there's <laughs> time, your shoes, and kilograms and kilomagrams.
0: <laughs> Man, those kilomagrams get me every
5: time. <laughs> no, but, but I
0: love that. And I, that's a great point, Casey, because an open letter can be fun like that one. Um, And it, it's really up to the person who's writing it. And if you even feel like writing it, I think letter writing is, is kind of on its way out. And that's a bit of a shame. Does anybody in here write letters?
6: I do. Sometimes. You do? I do. <laughs> that
0: doesn't surprise me. What, who do you write letters to, Jenny?
6: A uh, couple friends, like pen pals across the country that I don't see very often. But those who I've kind of shared that connection with that will write back too, since that's important for me to like get the
0: get it in return mm. oh well yeah so well, if you send a letter and you don't get something back how does that make you feel
6: I mean I move on but I like the conversation that's stop what... your whole
0: life no no, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope not well if you guys have something you'd like to say to us um, you you could write a letter but it would probably be easier to call us you can call <laughs> us at 901-260-5926 and Jenny how can they reach out on Twitter
6: you can reach us at Tell Me More Radio with the hashtag Tell Me More Radio.
0: Yeah, we we have some great regular callers that we really appreciate, but we also want to hear from the people who haven't called before, and this is kind of an appropriate show for it too. So if you've ever thought about calling us to say anything about our show, we love feedback, um, or to to let us know if there's something you're not saying to somebody, go ahead and, and give us a call. We really encourage you to do that. This is a space where. I have come to feel incredibly comfortable. I can say what's on my heart in this room and we wanna extend the feeling of this room, a group of best friends to the rest of you who are out there listening and encourage you and let you know that this is a safe space where we wanna hear what you have to think and we love when you guys call us at 901. 2605926. So that was a, a bit of my open letter to but, to our listeners. To Brooks
2: Brooks open letter to all <laughs> of you.
0: Right. Not not to all the moms, not quite that broad. Just just to all of all of the listeners because we know you guys are out there and listening and we appreciate it when you listen on our website to our recorded shows at tellmemoreradio.com. Um but what I, what I'd like to do now is is to start to move forward with a couple of the letters that we've written. Art, I bet you mm. see this coming, but I,
2: I'd like you to go mm. first if
0: you wouldn't mind. Well, after
2: the kids, is doing, don't want to bring anything down. <laughs> no, was, I mean. Mine's a little dark. It, it ends up okay. But.
0: I think, honestly, that's, that's where we start because sometimes there might be, like Nick was saying, unresolved issues there. I'm not sure if that's what your letter is, Art, but I'd, I'd like you to go ahead and read it.
2: Okay. Uh, this was a letter to my grandfather. He passed away in 1973 when I was 15. Hmm. Uh, his name was Daddy Dean. so uh, it's a little bit lengthy bear with me if you get bored well there's always a refrigerator but you should call instead Uh, dear daddy dean you might expect that it can take great repetition to set a particular lesson into a person's psyche yet i've always discovered no yet i've also discovered that some singular events can leave so indelible a mark as to affect a person's behavior for a lifetime Late last month, I began to wonder why I've always felt a debilitating fear around people that I view as authority figures, so much so that my tongue becomes paralyzed and my brain turns to sludge, even among supportive friends like Harold and Tom and so very many others. And though I've known for some time that a part of my mission, endemic to my passion, is a calling to speak a deeper truth, though the thought of doing so gets completely overwhelmed by gagging anxiety and second guesses. What I uncovered while retracing my steps shocked and surprised me. There you were. Sitting at the head of the dinner table. I must have been five, maybe six years old. Mimi had made meatloaf (laughs) for dinner. We had just finished the blessing and started eating. I took a couple of bites of the meatloaf and didn't care for the outer crust made of caramelized ketchup. So I ate around it. When I cleaned everything else from my plate, you commanded that I finish the rest. And I said, I didn't like the crust. That's when you backhanded me right out of my chair. Mm
5: -hmm.
2: Get up, you demanded. Amidst my tears and bruised mouth, I righted my chair and returned to the table. Don't you ever call your grandmother's cooking crud or I'll knock you down again. You understand? But I didn't say crud, I explained. I said crust. I don't like the crust. And that's when you popped me a second time, claiming that you knew perfectly well what I said and that I'd better shut up and eat while I still could. It's also when Mimi rushed to my defense, attempting to make clear to you that you had misheard me, but you weren't hearing any of that either. I had no idea that I had been nursing this wound for so many years. I still can't believe that it has so affected me, my ideals, and my ambitions. Though I was able to say almost anything among peers and even strangers around anyone I may have considered or even misconstrued as authority, rather than have them forever label me foolish or stupid, meanwhile affording them the ability to knock me down or ruin my life, I must have figured on sub subconscious level it was probably best I don't open my mouth at all. So that's how it's been. <sighs> I now see that I've been carrying some really deep-set anger towards you without the benefit of knowing from whence it came. Now I know. Now I can heal it. And now, most importantly, I can forgive you. Also, I see now why it was so easy for you to strike out at me. Just when you and Mimi had finally married off the kids, moved to a new town, to a new position with the company, in a new house all to yourselves, in less than two years, here comes your neurotic, holy self-involved, manic-depressive daughter with three baby boys in tow, come to douse your dream of freedom, costing you not only an arm and a leg, but your ability to build the quiet future you had envisioned. You must have felt completely cheated and ultimately frustrated. I certainly understand your anger. Not that it justifies striking anyone, particularly a little child who meant only to speak his truth. But I can certainly see why it happened, and can forgive you so that both I and my memory of you can be healed of it once and for all. I suppose, if you consider the deeper implications of it, perhaps it was best that I couldn't speak my truth until I had matured enough, experienced enough, aged enough in observation and wisdom to even get the faintest glimpse of what truth really is. I wish that you had lived long enough for us to get to know each other a little better. But then, I suppose taking the long view you left just when the time was right. Funny, now that I think of it, the last thing you ever said to me was, hello. Mm
5: -hmm.
2: So there you go. Let's
0: put the kids back on. No, no, this is, this is exactly where I, I wanna be right now, Art. That was a beautiful letter. Do you feel like you learned anything in the writing of it, or were you writing down realizations you had previously made
2: both 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 I had uh I, like I said I came across this about a month ago. I was wondering why I felt so restrained in this room yeah um and in other situations and I just tried to run it down and came across that particular realization when I was writing the letter, it was easier to understand why he was why he may have been so angry, uh, and that it was important that that get healed.
0: I was listening to an interview this week with, um, Susan Silverman, I believe Sarah Silverman's sister on NPR. And, uh, she said that she had an, an infant brother who died when she was young. Mm. She was two years old. Didn't remember him. Didn't really remember the instance very much, but she was gripped with this crippling fear that her parents were going to die she would go off to school and could barely get through the day because she was so worried that one of her parents would die. Mm -hmm. So she always wanted to be checking in with her family and making sure they were okay. And she didn't realize for years until she was in therapy for an unrelated issue in college. And she happened to mention this to her therapist several sessions in with, with no thought about it. And her therapist said that when something happens, when you're a child, that becomes part of your DNA And you might not realize it at the moment, yes. But it becomes a part of you. And she said, the naming of the thing, the realization that that's where the fear stemmed from, really helped to set her free. Have you found that it set you free from any of that anger?
2: Absolutely. Really. Well, I don't. It's really, you know, the anger was deep set, and I knew I was upset with him, but I didn't know why. And now that I've faced it this way, anger is easier to get rid of than the learning to free myself up from the shackles that I wore for so long about being able to say what was in my heart. This truth that that I think is important that needs to be voiced. Uh, It was always squelched because I was afraid of looking stupid, being a fool. But I guess we all face that to some degree. But I didn't realize that it was traced back to an event where I was told, I don't want to hear your truth. I want you to hear what I have to say. And that's more important than what anything you have to say.
0: Right. So it was interesting
2: to retrace those steps. Um, but it's amazing to me how those things lodge in us. And I guess DNA is a good way of saying it as anything else.
0: Yeah, but it it you almost don't realize it. And in my letter as well, it was someone who died when I was young, even younger than, than you. Mm-hmm. But- I, I've i always kind of tried to write off this feeling. I even say that in, in the letter that I wrote because I was so young. It shouldn't, and you said something to that effect in your letter that it sh- it shouldn't have affected you this way or you're surprised yes. that it affected you this way. But I think sometimes we don't give enough credit to those moments. Yeah. They really can change us. And I, I this is kind of a reali- realization I've been having very recently, especially tied up with this show. Mm-hmm. But those moments can change us. And it's also... Not up to us to decide whether those moments should change us, but sometimes the acceptance of it can, can change us as well.
2: I feel free, I feel freer, I do, and you know it helps me to review what time and what little memories I have of him, you know, pre fifteen and up to then, to recognize that he must have been a really loving guy to take all of us in and be the father figure for all of us. I mean, he took it all on himself, and he didn't have to do that.
0: I so. think I think you're good at seeing that in people though. Art, you're good at picking out the the loving thing that they may do despite an instance like this where love was not shown, but
2: well, maybe that's the reason I'm looking for it.
0: That's a strength. <laughs> that's that's a real strength, Art. Um so guys, we do have to go to a quick break, but I'm really excited to to see where the rest of the show is going to go, and I'd encourage you to reach out to us. There's there's not a more perfect show than right now. So you can call us at 901 260-5926, and we'll be right back. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Tell Me More Radio with Tom Shadiac. I'm your host for the evening, Brooke, and tonight we've been talking about open letters. We've been talking about what we're not saying to somebody out there. Um, we, we've talked about a couple different instances of it. We listened to the kid presidents, kid president <laughs> write, write a letter to every mother that's out there. Not not someone he's met, but he had something that he felt impassioned to say to mothers and he encouraged them to put down their cell phones, not name their kids phone and also make less meatloaf. (laughs) And I don't know. That was that was cute and beautiful to me. And an open letter can be that. And it it can also be what Art just shared with us. And I
2: agree with the meatloaf thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's all right. You know, it's all right. But there might be better dishes we could be serving. I, I might agree with him there. But that's what the beauty of of this show and of the concept of of letter writing is to me, because you get to decide the recipient and it can be an imaginary recipient. Has anybody ever written a letter to someone that they haven't met? No, don't think so. All right. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to throw you under the bus, Jenny, because before the show, you said that you had written a letter to someone that you burned recently.
6: Yeah, I had gone through a little breakup, so I wrote the letter just in apology and explanation that I knew I would never get to send, and I knew that it was better just to leave it. Like It wasn't that I needed closure by actually talking to him, but that helped me a lot. Just literally went in the backyard (laughs) and lit a fire and watched it burn. So to me, that's closure.
0: So did you also burn like articles of clothing you had of
6: him, (laughs) pictures... Uh, There wasn't much. So I threw out whatever (laughs) whatever was reminding me of him. But in reality, um, since he had been here, a lot of the stuff was stuff, you know, down the street in Memphis. I was like, oh, wait, I've done that with him. But um, I'm trying to reformat the memories now and make them my own and just do something different in that restaurant or that space and just be like, I don't have to think about him anymore.
0: Sure. So it was kind of ritualistically cleansing for you then.
6: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but All it right. shouldn't have been a big deal, but you, I guess you don't realize that people will affect you in ways that you didn't want
0: them to. You don't always have uh, the power to to choose how you are going to be changed by something. That's a good point. We can choose how we react to something mm-hmm. in the moment, but you can't control your emotions. You really, You really just can't. But I, I just want to make sure you didn't jinx him in any way or anything like <laughs> no. that while you were, all right. Yeah, all she, right. Was doing, she was doing
2: voodoo. That's why she had a fire in the back. I was worried.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, I was worried. But breakups can be really tough because there are a myriad of reasons why a relationship might not work. But there are only a, a few things that can make a relationship work. So most people have to go through so many relationships before they find one that works. And what what I've been talking about recently with one of my friends in particular is what happens if you never find a relationship that works. And Yeah,
2: I'd like the answer to that.
1: Yeah. I mean <laughs> Yeah, Rosa. Um very interesting question. But uh I think uh you said something about like we we don't choose to um who is going to change us or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um Recently, I read a book called "The Presence Process," and um, this book helped me to see how my um, like emotions, like printed, imprinted, like emotional, emotional imprinted,
0: okay, yeah. is in
1: us, and how that you talk about that before when Art mm-hmm. uh, was sharing about the childhood, like everything that happens to us. Even when we are in, you know, in our mother's womb until right. we are like probably seven, we are just emotion and everything, everything that happens during that time is going to affect us.
0: Do you think we normally think of it like that, Rosa? N- no.
1: And the, uh, that is why, and I totally agree with that because I, I, I am doing my work related to that. Like it's until we uh, stop and we are in contact with our emotions, we, we uh, start to heal. So when you ask, when are you going to find a relationship? Actually, any relationship is, go- is, is helping me to see where I am in my mind. And what do I need to heal? What do I need to, what do I need to go on, on, and see and reintegrate in my life? Because it's kind of like a break, like a separation from my emotional part. When we start to work in our mental, mm-hmm. intellectual part, we break ourselves from our emotions so the real healing, and I agree with that, I am, I agree with that, is when we go back to our emotions and we are in contact with them. But it's not easy and it's not funny because we need to go through sometimes painful, very, very right. painful stuff. But um, so until that, then... I don't know if we are going to find a relationship, but that is not going to be the issue anymore because some, somehow it's like, oh, like you are here, you are my messenger and you have a message for me. So I, if something happened that is not peaceful, I just need to ask myself, like, what is the message? I don't need to kill you <coughs> in my mind or physically just to ask myself, what is the message behind mm. that? So on then,
0: really interesting. I've never thought of li- like that either. And I think we usually do discount the experiences and emotions of children, especially because we say they won't remember it. But uh, w- w- oh, yeah, wow. I really do, I've heard so many people say that and mm-hmm. I don't like it at
4: all. I don't I don't like when people say that. I've heard so many people say that. Well, that happened to them when they were five. They're not even going to remember it. Right.
2: Well, they may not have the intellectual development to be able to reason on anything that occurs in that point in time. So what are they going to be stuck with? The emotional content.
4: Yeah. I've heard even if they don't remember it, even if something happens to you as young as like five months old, you will still you can still be affected by that later.
0: Right. There's, even if
4: you even if you don't
0: remember it. There's now research that in utero we could yeah. be much more affected than we ever thought, which is it's kind of shocking and that's not the way our culture is built. Um what about what about your nephew, Casey? You're you're a recent aunt and yes. I mean what do you think he'll take away from his childhood so far at 1 years old?
4: 1 <laughs> Um are you referring to, like, his health problem or just, like, just in general? I don't
0: know. No, I, wa- I want to know what you think. Yeah. Uh,
4: Yeah. I mean, I think about that um, because I've heard in the first, like, five years of life, whatever happened, th- those are, like, formative, formative, very yeah. formative years for you. And so, yeah, I mean, he seems to have had a really good first year, but he did go through a lot of health problems and a surgery when he was a month old. So you never know.
0: <laughs> like, well, yeah. so did you, though. You've had health problems your entire life. How do you feel that that shaped you? uh in a good way
4: yeah so but I don't know if it's different when you're a month old (laughs) but I mean
0: I would definitely say that your strength comes from some of the experiences that you've had to overcome and a lot of the health scares that you've had your whole life Mm -hmm. but it's also not as uh, you're legally blind um for our listeners who don't know that this is my best friend Casey from high school um and a lot of people will talk to you and say when they find out that you don't see as well as many other people they they'll think that that's a defining characteristic of you mm-hmm. but as as your best friend it's just not it's just one small piece of who you are and it helped you to have the strength to to be completely independent and learn how to do things your own way but I wouldn't say that it's a big part of who you are, would you?
4: I don't know. I go back and forth on yeah. that all the time. I'm like, does it define me? I don't think it defines me. But then, if I wasn't legally blind, I'd be a different person too. So,
0: I don't know. We might we might know. have That's to come back, back to that. That might be a show whole other topic. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a show there. But uh, also, Nick, you had someone in your life that that died when you were young.
3: Uh, He's looking at me. There were lots of them. Which one do you mean? Uh, <laughs>
0: Hannah had your uh, sister yes. had a, a twin brother. Yes, very similar situation.
3: My uh, younger sister Hannah uh, was actually one of a set of fraternal twins, and my younger brother uh, died of SIDS. Um, he, th- what we were told was there's some sort of automatization of your reflexes, and sometimes they just don't kick on, and that's what happened.
0: Right. So SIDS is sudden infant death syndrome, right, and right. Essentially, at this point, it means your child has died and we're really not sure why. Here's yeah. an acronym for your trouble.
3: Yeah, it's, it's essentially an umbrella term, sort of like uh, I would say the word cancer. It describes a huge array right. of different things. That uh, And uh, so what exactly are you asking? Just my thoughts on the... Uh, I
0: don't know. Do you, do you think that that shaped you in any way? Maybe like it shaped Susan, like we were talking about earlier in the show?
3: no. Uh, and and here's I'm not why
0: surprised th- that you say that, but <laughs> let's hear your reason.
3: So that is uh the earliest memory I have. Uh he died when I was two. Yeah, so
0: tell tell us about it. The EMTs arrived at your door. Yeah. Right? So
3: essentially uh I was in uh being just two, I it's it's all sort of emotional images and there's not a lot of remembering and in fact I've talked with, talked it out with my mom and she's sort of corrected me on a lot of the things I thought I remembered. Well,
0: tell us yeah, you yeah,
3: and so what I remember was being in the living room and just sort of playing. I don't have a lot of memories. And then uh, my mother picked up Ryan, that was his name, screaming from the sort of like what, what's going on, trying to get mm-hmm. him to respond. And then she uh, there's some blanks, and then she ran back. And then I remember hearing the EMTs hammering on the door, and uh, she asked me because she was giving him CPR in the bedroom that I could see down the hall through the open door, she was she asked me to unlock the door and the uh I tried, but being too, I, I don't even remember if I could reach the doorknob. I honestly don't. I I remember I think being able to reach the knob, but I couldn't unlock it for some reason. And uh I remember feeling really distressed about that. Like I, I wasn't able to help. But uh she uh ran over and picked me up and unlocked the door and then the EMTs came in and that's really the end of the memory. They came in and um my grandmother arrived shortly after to sort of see to Hannah and I and uh the the reason I don't think it affected me very much is because I honestly didn't realize that I remembered the memory until I was in my teen years and I, I pretty much went directly to my mother with it mm-hmm. and I was like well, well you know because it was something we all knew that right. there was a younger brother that had died and I asked my mom like what happened you know can we talk about this and she basically uh absolved me of all of the guilt that I thought I had about it because you know I said oh I felt really distressed about not being able to open the door and she said Nick Nick, you were too like I I, mean I was freaking out because my child was dying and I asked you to do something that you plainly couldn't have done there was you know
2: would you say would you say that up to that point you might have carried some sort of subconscious guilt about that event even though it didn't play real high in your memory I mean maybe but I
3: feel like any guilt that I might have had attached to it, I didn't realize, I didn't know about, it Mm -hmm. didn't, I didn't feel affected in any way. And so I don't know if I can say it affected me one way or the other because I didn't have any, after the event, I didn't really feel less guilty. I didn't really feel more capable. I, I didn't seem to, maybe it's like some sort of seed that would have evolved itself over many, many years, but it I can't say that I felt terribly affected. And actually, when you mentioned that thing about Susan Silverman, I thought about it. And I, I tried to sit there and think, did this affect me? Did the, am I hiding something? And I, <laughs> I kept trying to approach it from different angles and say, you know, do I feel guilty or afraid? And, and every time I thought, no, not really. I don't really feel like this affects me in any way.
0: Well, I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about, though. We might not remember the event, but it, it could have helped shape you. I'm I'm not sure. I don't have all the answers on it, but I think it's an interesting thing to think about. Things that we don't even remember or know about oh. could have helped shape us. Casey, you had kind of a visceral oh, yeah. reaction to that's that. that. <laughs> it freaks
4: me out because I think of all the problems I have and I'm like, did something happen that made me like I am afraid of authority figures and I don't know why. And I've told my therapist and she's like, what happened to you? And I'm like, nothing. Yeah, no. <laughs> and maybe nothing did. Maybe I'm just like, I don't know. So that, it's weird to think about. I, I, yeah, I dig into my mind quite often trying to figure out
3: my problems.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. It can be hard when you can't point to a root cause, though.
3: The skeptic in me wants to say that there's a sort of imaginary line that at some point you're crossing where you're, you're construing I don't want to say personality flaws, but mm-hmm. think per- self-perceived personality flaws is, is you're construing them as a being attached to some experience mm-hmm. when th- I think there's some point where they're ultimately just intrinsic to all of the uncountable and uncontrollable factors that happened. And and yet it's fun to play the what-if game. What if I had been raised with mm-hmm. a millionaire family? What if I had not is had one? Is it
0: fun or does it torment you? Because I find when I get bogged down in the what-ifs, mm-hmm. That's when I That's when I get into trouble well, and that's when I'm up all night.
3: Well, what I'm saying here is that it's fun to play that game and say, well, maybe I wouldn't be this if that had happened differently or something. But mm-hmm. I think there's a certain point where that becomes a meaningless exercise where you're sort of just saying, what if things were different? Well, yeah, then things would be different. I, I, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. seems to be a sort of well, meaningless I, I know for gesture. Me,
2: I know for me that the, that the penning of this letter, uh, whether it was mostly made up in my head, uh, <clears throat> some tiny little event that I've, blew out of proportion, uh, either then or along the way, or maybe mm-hmm. even now when I wrote the letter, <clears throat> it still helped me to address this issue that I'm having. I feel more free because of it, even if it's imagined.
0: Right.
3: Yeah. Well, and and <clears throat> I think that's a sort of clear attachment point there. But like Casey, you were saying, oh, I have a fear of authority figures, but nothing happened. There, there could just be something built in. And I'm not saying that everyone's got some but i think there's a sort of imaginary threshold where beyond that y- you can't find a root cause mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think sometimes it's helpful to know that that there med- is not a cause for everything
0: maybe yeah. there is a cause but maybe you'll never know and that Which can be a little makes scary it all right, all right. Very practical, <laughs> Mr. Well, Nicholas. There's,
2: one, there's <laughs> one thing that we can always rely on, and that is when we have fear, we have a root cause for just about anything we uh. want to set up.
0: <laughs> and we can also always rely on taking regular breaks. So we're going to go ahead and uh, take one of those I breaks. I like being
2: regular. It feels good.
0: <laughs> so, so call us while, while we're gone, guys, at 901-260-5926, and we'll be right back.
5: We want everything but what we've got. I'm going through changes. I'm going through changes rather than cages. I'm going through changes now.
0: All right, everybody. Welcome back to Tell Me More Radio with Tom Shadiac. I'm your host, Brooke. And tonight we've been talking about open letters and we've, we've even been talking about what that means to us. If if you'd like to share with us what it means to you, please call us at 901-260-5926. And we do have a couple more letters that we've written. Um, Jenny, would you like to go ahead and share the one that you have for us? Yeah, uh,
6: I'll just preface that um, my aunt is sick with pancreatic cancer. In the last week, it kind of just pretty much went up zero to 60 or whatever 30 to 60. And, um, a lot of her siblings are out there now in Oregon and I'm glad they can be, but I don't think I'll make it. And it hurts a lot, but I've been dealing with this just throughout the week. And, um, she's one of my favorite aunts. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I could say that on air, but, um, I'm also very similar to her in the the fact that like we both work on a boat. We've traveled a lot. We just have similar personalities. She's way more outgoing than I am, but mm-hmm. I've been dealing with the fact that I feel like a bad aunt cause I'm like thousand miles away from my my nieces and nephews, and she's always been far away, but I felt like she's always been there, so I'm kind of like dealing with how to, you know, be like her in that regard. So this is Aunt Anne-Marie. This is difficult to write because I know you are not doing so well. The time you have left is short and undetermined. The cancer took you so quickly, but I know you still have your spirit. That's what everyone who is with you in Oregon keeps saying. I wish I could be there, and I am in spirit, but I have spent my days relishing in memories of you. You are my mother's sister, the closest I've ever had to a second mom. When you invited me to come live with you and your family in Alaska, I almost didn't go. I felt that I owed it to the city of Philadelphia to live there one more summer after graduation. But I have no regrets going up there to live in Alaska, because it meant more time with you. I didn't grow up with you nearby geographically, but you always found a way to be involved. A very distinct memory I have with you is when my boyfriend for the Alaskan summer left, and I came into the house trying to hold it together, but you let me cry on your shoulder, something I've never been able to— never been vulnerable enough to do in front of my own mother or many others. I don't regret moving to Oregon after Alaska and spending a year and a half only a three-hour drive from your winter home. And I've been lucky to have a second West Coast family, and now that I'm in Memphis, it's so difficult to be away from my own nieces and nephews. But when I think back, though I have had not as much time with you because of distance, the memories are more potent and the time together was more important. I hope I can be half the aunt and half the person you have been. You're, you have always been a role model and never stopped caring about those who have entered your life. I love you. Love, Jenny. Yeah.
0: Mm. I didn't cry. You didn't <laughs> cry. And I, I am proud of you for that. Yeah. But there uh, had
6: been a lot of tears, but happy ones too.
0: <laughs>
2: that sounded to me like a celebration.
6: Yeah, that I uh, put together <laughs> a little video project for her, just everyone she knew sending in videos to kind of just share a memory or just share the love. And after watching all of the people she's touched she lived in so many places it's just like I wish that I could keep those relationships and it's she doesn't even have Facebook and she's been able to keep in touch with these people
2: she's a letter writer like you
6: yeah <laughs> and emails always <clears throat> with the emails but I just um I've always felt that connection and everyone said it too and there are times where I, we've had fights and gotten angry and stuff like that and I think about the times where I may have wronged her and I feel bad but that's just part of life like there are there are no guarantees and you should live like there's no tomorrow, but really like there's going to be tiffs and as long as you apologize, it's okay. I, I mean,
0: especially with family. I don't know anyone who has never had a fight with a family member. Anyone in this room? Have you guys no. ever fought with Nick? looks like maybe he hasn't very stoically staring at wow. me right now, but everybody else we has know, had a fight with a family member. We know
2: that member. Nick cleared the air right then and there. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> he got an office chest
6: immediately (laughs) (laughs) and everyone will be annoyed like (laughs) annoyances or things just little things too but those are things that I look back to and laugh about
0: I mean I love the letter that you wrote and I think it was really beautiful but is this something that you're gonna say to your aunt
6: I just kind of held back because there's there's not much time and she's with family like I think that's a great way to go to have everybody with you and um there's just been a lot that's already been said. Like she knows it internally that mm. everyone loves her. It's like, there's no joke. And there's nothing more that I've said that I haven't already shared with her. And so and so
2: much to what people really just want to hear are those three words yeah. meant from the heart. Right. I yeah. love you.
6: And the time um, I last saw her in October and uh, she was going to the UN with her kids. They got a private tour and I was like, can I go? And <laughs> it's kind of like the, my cousins are like my siblings. So I, I don't regret the, like the, jumps that I've taken just to spend more time. And even that that night I was supposed to go see friends and they all got sick in New York. And that, that was like, oh, I guess I have to crash at your hotel room that's and perfect. that way we could all get breakfast. So that's really my last memory. And I'm very glad
0: that my friends got sick. Sorry guys. but <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's perfect. And I can't imagine a more beautiful message. It doesn't need to be said because you've lived it and mm. your aunt knows that. Um I know how hard it is to go through something like that and lose an aunt. My aunt my aunt died about six months ago. And I I love I love my aunt and we had a good relationship, but I I, I saw her on holidays and things like that. For me, it was really watching my dad go through it mm-hmm. that was so terribly difficult and my grandparents go through it because Tanya herself, my aunt, was a nurse. She was diagno- diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, and she knew exactly what to expect. She knew what was going to happen, and she was at peace with it. She she planned her funeral. She did everything she needed to. She took a trip to Europe. She spent lots of time with her family. And I felt good about the way our relationship was. I think similar to the situation you're in now, I felt I felt very strong in our relationship. But it was very hard to watch my grandparents go through that because to have to bury their daughter yeah no one should have to to bury their child and that has been the hardest part of it for me and and the hole that is felt when we go to family events you know that that hole will be there but jenny you couldn't have said it more perfect the the best thing you could leave anyone with the best thing anyone can leave this earth with is to be surrounded by family with the implied knowledge that you are loved and you have been your whole life and that's beautiful um so i guess i've i've been stalling a little nice nice job too (laughs) however i i also wrote a letter um to someone i i told you guys earlier in the show that it was a letter to someone who died when i was eight years old and we've been talking a lot tonight about events that changed us in our childhood that we didn't know the far-reaching consequences and sometimes we can never know what that moment was but i've picked out a, a, a couple moments that i had um with someone who meant a lot to me uh this was my dad's best friend growing up his mother so i always i always knew him as uncle carrie and her as a grandma as a child i didn't realize that people didn't have three grandmas i just thought i had three grandmas but i also didn't didn't quite think of her as a grandma. It's not very fair. She was more like my best friend and I had no clue she was any older than me. She was only 54 when she died, but she, she sh- could have been 10 for all I knew. Wow. Um, and I think we've talked about the concept of a, a soulmate as someone you meet and instantly you connect. You know that person was meant to be in your life for some reason. And that's, that's how I've always felt about her. So I'm going to go ahead and read you guys the letter that I wrote to her. <laughs> Danette. I've thought about what I would say to you for a long time, years. Fifteen of them, actually. One would think that it is hard to make a lasting change on a child, especially since you died when I was eight. But the words are still hard to write. You were my best friend. At that time in my life, I didn't have many people to turn to. I would go spend the weekend with you instead. I will always remember the peanut M&Ms by the bed just in case I needed one in the middle of the night and making up birthdays for all of my T.Y. Beanie Babies and celebrating each and every one of them with a cake from my Easy Bake Oven (laughs) and watching 101 Dalmatians every night. So many wonderful memories. You talked to me like I was an adult, and you were the only person to do it at that age, and you were also the only person not in my family, which meant you weren't obligated, that loved and treasured me. And then you died at, at eight. I didn't really realize that death was a possibility, not not a possibility, but an inevitability. The last time I talked to you, you were in a coma. I still remember distinctly that I told you about Reese Johnson and how he picked up a two inch grasshopper and chased me around the playground with it. And that's all I could think about at your funeral. You were in a coma. I didn't know you would die. But I was guilty. The last thing I said to you was selfish. It was talking about my own needs on a playground, and it was silly. I just didn't know that you would die. I didn't know that you could die, and I longed for a chance to say it all better. But you were gone, and I didn't have the chance to tell you that I loved you. It took me a long time to realize that you weren't coming back. But now I've realized something. You shaped how I look at every relationship. You showed me how a friend should treat you and that you don't have to be blood to be related. I still feel cheated of the opportunity to have gotten to know you as an adult. I know we would have had fun, but I do know that the time that we had together was perfect. I will always love you. Thank you for teaching me that some some relationships can never be broken.
2: That is beautiful.
0: I have tried to write a letter similar to that for a long time. Um and everyone who's in the studio can tell you that one minute prior to the show I was still in the hallway revising. <laughs> it it can be hard sometimes to say the things that are in your heart, but but it can also be good. Um I've decided that I wanna go to Danette's grave and say this say this there. Um I've I've always gone to her grave and 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 felt some kind of presence there and like like there was someone I could talk to there. I well, it sounds like
2: it sounds to me like you can talk to her right here.
0: Yeah, uh, that that felt pretty good to me.
2: That was beautiful.
0: And I mean now now that I'm older and have more perspective on it, obviously I realize that you're not obligated to say the perfect thing. Mm-hmm. And I really had no way of knowing that she was going to die. But um they they told me later that she could s- probably still hear us while she was in that coma. And now I, I'm happy with with the story I told her. I think I think she would much, much rather have preferred that. And also she's one of the most selfless people I knew. She definitely wouldn't have wanted me to be upset. I know she wouldn't have wanted me to to carry anything this far, but once I realized that she did change me, it was much easier to, I guess, accept that she had passed away and wasn't coming back. Have you guys found that to be true?
6: Um, I had a similar thing where I didn't say goodbye to my grandma because Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I'll see her tomorrow. And as I was eight or seven, it's so final when you realize that you're never going to get to say goodbye. But you lived your life in love with her and everybody else around you. And I'm sure the last words don't really matter as much as the life that you had with her.
0: Right. (laughs) And, I mean, I think I needed to hear that a little bit tonight, Jenny. (laughs) Um, Living that love every day, that's the important part. Um, This show has meant a lot to me, guys. It's made me do some thinking about my own life, but also (sighs) made me think that it's not always as hard to get something out, and taking a pen to the paper... Can really be helpful. Um, just just getting it out there into the world, even if it's on a sheet of paper that you burn in a <laughs> witch ritual in your backyard, it it can really mean a lot. And I I love you guys. I appreciate you listening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been Tell Me More Radio with Tom Shadyac and Brooke Friendly. Peace. Peace.